Chapter Seven, Part Two of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Seven, Part Two. When Sally married Peter. I jumped for the window, and all of them, even Sally, crowded behind. Well, talk about carriages. No one ever had seen that one before. It was a carriage, and such horses. The funny orse ouse man who made the prior garden was driving. He stopped at the gate, got out and opened a door, and the princess's father stepped down, tall and straight, all in shiny black. He turned around and held out his hand, bowing double, and the princess laid her hand in his and stepped out too. He walked with her to the gate, made another bow, kissed her hand and stepped back, and she came down the walk alone. He got in the carriage, the man closed the door, and they drove away. Sally must have arranged before that the princess was to come early, for she came straight upstairs. She wore a soft white silk dress with big faded pink roses in it, and her hair was fastened at each ear with a bunch of little pink roses. She was lovely, but she didn't outdress or outshine Sally one bit, and she never even glanced at the mirror to see how she looked. She began helping with Sally's hair and to dress her. When Bess Kuntz prinked so long, she made everyone disgusted. The princess said, Oh, save your trouble. No one will look at you when there's a bride in the house. There was a roll almost as thick as your arm of garters that all the other girls wanted Sally to wear for them, so they would get a chance to marry that year. And Agnes Kunz's was so large it went twice around, and they just laughed about it. They put a blue ribbon on Sally's stays for luck, and she borrowed Peter's sister Mary's comb to hold her back hair. They had the most fun, and when she was all ready, except her dress, they went away. And Sally stood in the middle of the room, trembling a little. Outside, you could hear carriage wheels rolling, the beat of horses' hoofs, and voices crying greetings. There was a sound of revelry by day. Mother came in hurriedly. She wore her new brown silk, with a lace collar pinned at the throat, with the pin that had a brown goldstone setting in it, and her precious ring was on her finger. She was dainty and pretty enough to have been a bride herself. She turned Sally around slowly, touching her hair a little and her skirts. Then she went to the closet, took out the wedding dress, put the skirt over Sally's head, and she came up through the whiteness, pink and glowing. She slipped her arms into the sleeves, and Mother fastened it, shook out the skirt, saw that the bead fringe hung right, and the lace collar lay flat. Then she took Sally in her arms, held her tight, and said, God bless you, dear, and keep you always. Amen. Then she stepped to the door, and Peter, all shining and new, came in. He hugged Sally, and kissed her like it didn't make the least difference whether she had on calico or a wedding dress, and he just stared, and stared at her, and never said a word. So at last she asked, Well, Peter, do you like my dress? And the idiot said, Why, Sally, I hadn't even seen it. Then both of them laughed, and the presiding elder came. I never liked to look at him very well, because something had happened, and he had only one eye. I always wondered if he had plucked it out, because it had offended him. But if you could forget his eye, and just listen to his voice, it was like the sweetest music. He married those two people right there in the bedroom, all but about three words at the end. I heard and saw every bit of it. Then Sally said it was time for me to go to mother, but she followed me into the boys' room and shut the door. Then she knelt in her beautiful silver dress, and put her arms around me, and said, Honest little sister, aren't you going to kiss me good-bye? Oh, I can if you want me to, I said, 
but I didn't look at her. I looked out of the window. She laughed a breathless little catchy sort of laugh, and said, "'That's exactly what I do want.' "'You didn't even want me to begin with,' I reminded her. "'There isn't a doubt but whoever told you that could have been in better business,' said Sally, angry-like. "'I was much younger then, and there were many things I didn't understand. "'And it wasn't you I didn't want. It was just no baby at all. "'I wouldn't have wanted a boy or any other girl a bit more. "'I foolishly thought we had children enough in this house. "'I see now very plainly that we didn't, "'for this family never could get along without you. "'And I'm sorry I ever thought so, "'and I'd give anything if I hadn't struck you, and—' "'Oh, be still and go on and get married,' I said. "'I could just feel a regular beller coming in my throat. "'I was only fooling to pay you up. "'I meant all the time to kiss you good-bye when the others did. "'I'll nearly die being lonesome when you're gone.' "'Then I ran for downstairs, and when I reached the door, "'where the steps went into the sitting-room, "'I stopped, scared at all the people. "'It was like camp-meeting. "'You could see the yard full through the windows.' Just as I was thinking I'd go back to the boys' room, and from there into the garret, and down the back stairway, Laddie went and saw me. He came over, led me to the parlor door, put me inside, and there Mother took my hand and held me tight, and I couldn't see Leon anywhere. I was caught, but they didn't have him. Mother never hung on as she did that day. I tried and tried to pull away, and she held tight. It was only a minute until the door opened. People crowded back and the presiding elder, followed by Sally and Peter, came into the room, and they began to be married all over again. If it hadn't grown so solemn my mother sprung a tear, I never would have made it. She just had to let me go to sop her face, because tears are salty, and they would turn her new brown silk front yellow. The minute my hand was free, I slipped between the people and looked at the parlor door. It was wedged full, and more standing on chairs behind them. No one could get out there. I thought I would fail Leon Shore. And then I remembered the parlor bedroom. I got through that door easy as anything, and it was no trick at all to slip behind the blind, raise the window, and drop into Mother's room from the sill. From there I reached the back dining-room door easy enough, went around to the kitchen, and called Leon softly. He opened the door at once, and I slipped in. He had just got there. We looked all around, and couldn't see where to begin at first. There was enough cooked food there to load two wagons. An old pillowcase that had dried sage in it was lying across a chair, and Leon picked it up and poured the sage into the wood-box and handed the case to me. He went over and knelt before the oven while I followed and held open the case. Leon rolled his eyes to the ceiling and said so exactly like father when he is serving company that not one of us could have told the difference. Which part of the fowl do you prefer, Brother Lemon? It was so funny it made me snigger, but I straightened up and answered as well as I could. I'm especially fond of the rump, Brother Stanton. Leon stirred the heap and piled four or five tails in the case. I thought that was all I could manage before they would spoil. So I said, Do you prefer light or dark meat, Sister Abigail? I wish to choose breast, said Leon, simpering, just like that silly Abigail Webster. He put in six breasts. Then we found them hidden away back in the oven in a pie-pan, for the bride's table, I bet, and we took two livers apiece. We didn't dare take more, for fear they had been counted. Then he threw in whatever he came to that was a first-choice big piece, until I was really scared, and begged him to stop. But he repeated what the fox said in the story of the quarrelsome cocks. Poco was very good, but I have not had enough yet. So he piled in pieces, 
until I ran away with the pillowcase. Then he slid in a whole plateful of bread, another of cake, and put the plates in a tub of dishes under the table. Then we took some of everything that wasn't too runny. Just then the silence broke in the front part of the house, and we scooted from the back door, closing it behind us, ran to the woodhouse, and climbed the ladder to the loft over the front part. There we were safe as could be. We could see to the road, hear almost everything said in the kitchen, and eat our bites in peace, like Peter Justice told the presiding elder at the church trial that he wanted his wife to, the time he slapped her. Before very long they began calling us, and called and called. We hadn't an idea what they wanted, so we ate away. We heard them first while I was holding over a back to let Leon taste kidney, and it made him blink when he got it good. Well, my soul, he said, no wonder father didn't want to feed that to another man when mother isn't very well and likes it. No wonder. Then he gave me a big bite of breast. It was sort of dry and tasteless. I didn't like it. Why, I think neck or back beats that all to pieces, I said in surprise. Fact is, they do, said Leon. I guess the people who wish to choose breast do it to get the biggest piece. I never had thought of it before, but of course that would be the reason. Allow me, Sister Stanton, said Leon, holding out a piece of thigh. That was really chicken. Then we went over the backs and picked out all the kidneys and ate the little crusty places and all the cake we could swallow. Then Leon fixed up the bag the best he could and set it inside an old cracked churn and put on the lid. He said that would do almost as well as the cellar, and the food would keep until tomorrow. I wanted to slip down and put it in the underground station, but Leon said father must be spending a lot of money right now. And he might go there to get some, so that wouldn't be safe. Then he cleaned my face, and I told him when he got his right, and we slipped from the back door, crossed the Lawton blackberry patch, and went to the house from the orchard. Leon took an apple and broke it in two, and we went in eating as if we were starving. When father asked us where in this world we had been, Leon told him we thought it would be so awful long before the fourth or fifth table, and we hadn't had much breakfast. And we were so hungry, we went and hunted something to eat. If you'd only held your horses a minute, said father, they were calling you to take places at the bride's table. Well, for land's sake, our mouths dropped open until it's a wonder the cake and chicken didn't show. And we never said a word. There didn't seem to be anything to say, for Leon loved to be with grown folks, and to have eaten at the bride's table would have been the biggest thing that ever happened to me. At last, when I could speak, I asked who had taken our places. And bless your heart if it wasn't that mealy faced little sister of Peter's, and one of the aunts from Ohio. They had finished, and Sally was upstairs putting on her travelling dress while the guests were eating, when I heard Laddie ask the princess to ride with him and Sally's other friends, who were going to escort her to the depot. You'll want all your horses. What could I ride? If I find you a good horse and saddle, will you go? I will. I think it would be fine sport. Laddie turned and went from sight that minute. The princess laughed and kept on making friends with everyone, helping wait on people, thinking of nice things to do, and just as the carriage was at the gate for father and mother, and Sally and Peter, and everyone else was untying their horses to ride in the procession to the village, from where I was standing on the mounting block, I saw something coming down the little hill. I took one look, ran to the princess, and almost dragged her. Up raced Laddie, his face bright, his eyes snapping with fun. He rode Floss, was leading the princess's horse Maud, and carrying a big bundle under his arm. He leaped from the saddle and fastened both horses. 
"'Gracious heaven, what have you done?' gasped the princess. "'Brought your mount,' said Laddie, quite as if he were used to going to Priors after the sausage-grinder or the grain-sacks. But the princess was pale and trembling. She stepped so close she touched him, and he immediately got a little closer. You couldn't get ahead of Laddie, and he didn't seem to care who saw, and neither did she. "'Tell me exactly what occurred,' she said, just as father does when he means to wail us completely. "'I rapped at the front door,' said Laddie. "'And who opened it?' cried the princess. "'Your father.' "'My father?' "'Yes, your father,' said Laddie, and because I was in such a hurry, I didn't wait for him to speak. I said, "'Good morning, Mr. Pryor. I'm one of the Stanton boys, and I came for Miss Pryor's mountain habit.' All the young people who are on horseback are going to ride an escort to the village, around my sister's bridal carriage, and Miss Pryor thinks she would enjoy going. Please excuse such haste, but we only this minute made the plan, and the train won't wait. And he? He said, Surely, hold one minute. I stood on the step and waited, and I could hear him give the order to some one to get your riding habit quickly, and then he blew a shrill whistle, and your horse was at the gate the fastest of anything I ever saw. Did he do or say? Nothing about clods and clowns and grossness. Every other word he spoke was when I said, Thank you and good morning, and was turning away. He asked, Did Miss Pryor say whether she preferred to ride home, or shall I escort her in the carriage? She did not, I answered. The plan was so sudden she had no time to think that far. But since she will have her horse in habit, why not allow my father to escort her? So you see, I'm going to take you home, exulted Laddie. "'But you told him your father,' said the princess. "'And thereby created the urgent necessity,' said Laddie, with a flourish, "'for speaking to him again, and telling him that my father had visitors from Ohio, and couldn't leave them. "'We will get all the fun from the day that we can, but before dusk, too early for them to have any cause for cavil. "'The gross country clod is going to take you home.' "'One at a time, Laddie pounded those last words into the hitching-post, with his doubled fist.' "'Suppose he sets the dogs on you. "'You know he keeps two dreadful ones.' "'Laddie just roared. "'He leaned closer. "'Beauteous lady,' he said, "'I have fed those same dogs and rubbed their ears "'so many nights lately. "'He'll get the surprise of his life if he tries that.' "'The princess drew away "'and stared at Laddie the funniest. "'On my life,' she said at last. "'Well, for a country clod.' "'Then she turned with a habit bundle "'and ran into the house.' Father and mother came from the front door, arm in arm, and walked to the carriage, and Sally and Peter followed. My, but they looked fine. The princess had gone to the garden, and gathered flowers, and lined all the children in rows down each side of the walk. They were loaded with blooms to throw at Sally, but when she came out, in her beautiful gray poplin traveling dress, trimmed in brown ribbon, the same shade as her curls, her face all pink, her eyes shining, and the ties of her little brown bonnet waving to her waist, she was so perfectly beautiful. Every single child watched her open-mouthed, gripped its flowers, and forgot to throw them at all. And this you scarcely will believe after what she had said the day she made her list, and when all of us knew her heart was all torn up. Sally just swept along, smiling at everyone, and calling good-bye to those who had no way to ride to the village, as if leaving didn't amount to much. At the carriage, a little white, but still smiling, she turned and took one long look at everything and then she got in and called for me, right out loud before everyone. So I got to hold up my head as high as it would go, and step in too, and ride all the way to Groveville between her and Peter, and instead of holding his hand, 
She held mine, just gripped it tight. She gripped so hard she squeezed all the soreness at her from my heart, and when she kissed me good-bye the very last of all, I whispered in her ear that I wouldn't ever be angry any more, and I wasn't, because after she had explained I saw how it had been. It wasn't me she didn't want, it was just no baby. After our carriage came Peter's people, then one father borrowed for the Ohio relatives, then the other children, and all the neighbors followed, and when we reached the high hill where you turn beside the woods, I saw father gather up the lines and brace himself, for Ned and Joe were what he called meddlesome. Then came a burst of thunder sound, as it says in Casablanca, and the horseback riders came sweeping around us, Laddie and the princess leading. These two rode ahead of us, and the others lined three deep on either side, and the next carriage dropped back and let them close in behind, so Sally and Peter were in the midst thereof. Instead of throwing old shoes, as always had been done, the princess coaxed them to throw rice and roses, and every other flower pulled from the bouquets at home, and from the gardens we had passed. Every one was out watching us go by, and when William Justice rode beside the fences, crying, "'Flowers for the bride! Give us flowers for the bride!' Some of the women were so excited, they pulled things up by the roots, and gave him armloads, and he rode ahead, and supplied Laddie and the princess, and they kept scattering them in the road, until every foot of the way to Groveville was covered with flowers, the fair young flowers that lately sprang and stood. He even made side-cuts into swampy places, and gathered armloads of those perfectly lovely fringy blue gentians, caught up and filled the carriage, and scattered them in a wicked way, because you should only take a few of those rare, late flowers, that only grow from seed. Sally looked just as if she had come into her own, and was made for it. I never did see her look so pretty. But Peter sweated, and acted awful silly. Father had a time with the team. Ned and Joe became excited, and just ranted. They simply danced. Laddie had braided their manes and tails, and they waved like silken floss in the sunshine and the carriage was freshly washed, and the patent leather and brass shone, and we rode flower-covered. Ahead, Laddie and the princess fairly tried themselves. She hadn't put on her hat or habit after all. When Laddie told her they were going to lead, she said, "'Very well, then I shall go as I am. The dress makes no difference. It's the first time I've had a chance to spoil one since I left England.' When the other girls saw what she was going to do, nearly every one of them left off their hats and riding-skirts. Every family had saddle-horses those days, and when the riders came racing up, they looked like flying flowers. They were all laughing, bloom-laden, singing and calling jokes. Ahead, Laddie and the princess just plain showed off. Her horse came from England with them, and Laddie said it had Arab blood in it, like the one in the fourth reader poem, Fret not to roam the desert now, with all thy winged speed. And the princess loved her horse more than that man did his. She said she'd starve before she'd sell it and if her family were starving, she'd go to work and earn food for them, and keep her horse. Laddie's was a Kentucky thoroughbred he'd saved money for years to buy, and he took a young one and trained it himself, almost like a circus horse. Both of them could ride, so that day they did. They ran those horses neck and neck, right up the hill approaching Groveville, until they were almost from sight. Then they whirled and came sweeping back fast as the wind. The princess's eyes were like dead coals, and her black curls streamed, the thin silk dress wrapped tight around her, and waved back like a gossamer web, such as spiders spin in October. Laddie's hair was blowing, his cheeks and eyes were bright, and with one eye on the princess, she didn't need it, and one on the road, 
He cut curves, turned, wheeled, and raced, and as he rode, so did she. Will they break their foolish necks? wailed mother. They are the handsomest couple I ever have seen in my life, said father. Yes, and you two watch out, or you'll strike trouble right there, said Sally, leaning forward. I gave her an awful nudge. It made me so happy I could have screamed to see them flying away together like that. Well, if that girl represents trouble, said father, God knows it never before came in such charming guise. You can trust a man to forget his God and his immortal soul if a sufficiently beautiful woman comes along, said my mother dryly, and all of them laughed. She didn't mean that to be funny, though. You could always tell by the set of her lips and the light in her eyes. Just this side of Groveville, we passed a man on horseback. He took off his hat and drew his horse to one side when Laddie and the princess rode toward him. He had a big roll of papers under his arm to show that he had been for his mail. But I knew, so did Laddie and the princess, that he had been compelled to saddle and ride like mad to reach town and come that far back in time to watch us pass. For it was the princess's father, and watch was exactly what he was doing. He wanted to see for himself. Laddie and the princess rode straight at him, neck and neck, and then both of them made their horses drop on their knees, and they waved a salute, and then they were up and away. Of course, father and mother saw, so mother bowed, and father waved his whip as we passed. He sat there like he'd turned the same on horseback as Sabethany had in her coffin. But he had to see almost a mile of us, driving our best horses and carriages, wearing our wedding garments and fine raiment, and all that cavalcade, father called it, of young, reckless riders. You'd have thought if there were a hint of a smile in his whole being, it would have shown when Sally leaned from the carriage to let him see that her face and clothes were as good as need be, and smiled a lovely smile on him, and threw him a rose. He did leave his hat off and bow low. And then Shelley, always the very Dickens for daring, rode right up to him and laughed in his face, and she leaned and thrust a flower into his bony hands. You would have thought he would have been simply forced to smile then. But he looked far more as if he would tumble over and roll from the saddle. My heart ached for a man in trouble like that. I asked the Lord to preserve us from secrets we couldn't tell the neighbors. At the station, there wasn't a thing those young people didn't do. They tied flowers and ribbons all over Sally's satchel and trunk. They sowed rice as if it were seeding time in a wheat field. They formed a circle around Sally and Peter, and as mushy as ever they could, they sang. As sure as the grass grows round the stump, you are my darling sugar lump, while they danced. They just smiled all the time, no matter what was done to them. Some of it made me angry, but I suppose to be pleasant was the right way. Sally was strong and always doing the right thing, so she just laughed, and so did all of us. Going home it was wilder yet, for all of them raced and showed how they could ride. At the house people were hungry again. So the table was set, and they ate up every scrap in sight, and Leon and I ate with them that time and saved ours. Then, one by one, the carriages, spring wagons, and horseback riders went away. All the people sang Sally was the loveliest bride, and hers had been the prettiest wedding they'd ever seen, and the most good things to eat, and Laddie and the princess went with them. When the last one was gone, and only the relatives from Ohio were left, mother pitched on the bed, gripped her hands, and cried as if she'd go to pieces. And father cried too, and all of us, even Mrs. Freshett, who stayed to wash up the dishes. She was so tickled to be there, and see and help, that mother had hard work to keep her from washing the linen that same night. 
She did finish the last dish, scrub the kitchen floor, black the stove, and pack all the borrowed china in tubs, ready to be taken home, and things like that. Mother said it was a burning shame for any neighborhood to let a woman get so starved out and lonesome she'd act that way. She said enough was enough, and when Mrs. Freshett had cooked all day, and washed dishes until the last skillet was in place, she had done as much as any neighbor ought to do, and the other things she went on and did were a rebuke to us. I felt sore, weepy, and tired out. It made me sick to think of the sage-bag in the cracked churn, so I climbed my very own cultopa tree in the corner, watched up the road for Laddie, and thought things over. If I ever get married, I want a dress, and a wedding exactly like that. But I would like a man quite different from Peter, like Laddie would suit me better. When he rode under the tree, I dropped from a limb into his arms, and went with him to the barn. He asked me what was going on at the house, and I told him about Mrs. Freshett being a rebuke to us, and Laddie said she was, and he didn't believe one word against her. When I told him Mother was in bed crying like anything, he said, I knew that had to come when she kept up so bravely at the station. Thank the Lord she showed her breeding by holding in until she got where she had a right to cry if she pleased. Then I whispered for fear Leon might be around. Did he set the dogs on you? He did not, said Laddie, laughing softly. Did he call you names again? He did, said Laddie, but I started it. You see, when we got there, Thomas was raking the grass, and he came to take the princess's horse. Her father was reading on a bench under a tree. I helped her down, and walked with her to the door, and said good-bye, and thanked her for the pleasure she had added to the day for us, loudly enough that he could hear. Then I went over to him, and said, "'Good evening, Mr. Pryor. If my father knew anything about it, he would very much regret that company from Ohio detained him, and compelled me to escort your daughter home. He would greatly have enjoyed the privilege, but I honestly believe that I appreciated it far more than he could.' "'Oh, laddie, what did he say?' "'He arose and glared at me, and choked on it, and he tried several times, "'until I thought the clods were going to fly again. "'But at last he just spluttered. "'You blathering rascal, you!' "'That was such a compliment compared with what I thought he was going to say, "'that I had to laugh. "'He tried, but he couldn't keep from smiling himself. "'And then I said, "'Please think it over, Mr. Pryor, "'and if you find that Miss Pryor has had an agreeable, entertaining day,' "'Won't you give your consent for her to come among us again? "'Won't you allow me to come here, "'if it can be arranged in such a way that I intrude on no one?' "'Oh, laddie!' "'He exploded in a kind of a snarl that meant, "'I'll see you in the bad place first. "'So I said to him, "'Thank you very much for today, anyway. "'I'm sure Miss Pryor has enjoyed this day, "'and it has been the happiest of my life, "'one to be remembered always.' "'Of course I won't come here if I am unwelcome, "'but I am in honor bound to tell you "'that I intend to meet your daughter elsewhere, "'whenever I possibly can. "'I thought it would be a better way for you to know, "'and have us where you could see what was going on, "'if you chose, than for us to meet without your knowledge.' "'Oh, laddie,' I wailed, "'now you've gone and ruined everything.' "'Not so bad as that, little sister,' laughed laddie. "'Not half so bad.' "'He exploded in another growl, "'and he shook his walking-stick at me. And he said, guess what he said? That he would kill you, I panted, clinging to him. Right, said Laddie, you have it exactly. He said, young man, I'll brain you with my walking stick if ever I meet you anywhere with my daughter, when you have not come to her home and taken her with my permission. What? I stammered. What? Oh, Laddie, say it over. 
does it mean? It means, said Laddie, squeezing me until I was near losing my breath. It means, little sister, that I shall march to his door and ask him squarely, and if it is anywhere the princess wants to go, I shall take her. Like, see the conquering hero comes. Exactly, laughed Laddie. What will mother say? She hasn't made up her mind yet, answered Laddie. Do you mean, I gasped again. Of course, said Laddie. I wasn't going to let a girl get far ahead of me. The minute I knew she had told her mother, I told mine the very first chance. Mother knows that you feel about the princess as father does about her? Mother knows, answered Laddie, and so does father. I told both of them. Both of them knew, and it hadn't made enough difference that anyone living right with them every day could have told it. Time and work will be needed to understand grown people. End of chapter 7